Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Day 12 of our Man on the Post Daily World Cup podcasts. Um, I'm your host, Adam, again. This is getting too much of a habit for me. And I, uh, once again, I'm joined by James. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you both, fellas? Yeah, good. And um, uh, as James has alluded to, we're also joined today by um, regular Friday con- contributor Justin. How are you doing, mate? All right, doing fine. How are you both? Yeah, not too bad. Good. Not good. too bad. Right, so today has seen the first day of... Um, the third match day for um, for teams where um, teams final games deciding groups and we started with uh, in alphabetical order which for some reason FIFA decided to throw away a bit later on but makes sense now and we started group A where we had Saudi Arabia playing Egypt and Uruguay playing Russia Uruguay and Russia obviously both through playing to top the group um, Saudi Arabia and Egypt playing for pride um, so the, the I suppose we'll start with Saudi Arabia a game that um, Egypt take the lead, go ahead with, with Mo Salah. Um, two penalties for Saudi Arabia in the sec, in the but right at the end of the first half. Uh, the first one saved by the by the Egyptian goalkeeper. I believe it's forty five, wasn't he, guys? Yeah, forty five years, years old. Yeah, yeah, and a great and, save and just about as good a penalty save as you'll ever see. Yeah, fully agree, Justin. Um, and then. Uh, an absolute heartbreaking last-minute winner for Egypt to um, give Saudi Arabia what I assume is probably their first World Cup win ever. James, you be able to help me with that? Uh, no, I don't think it's their first one ever, actually, but it's their first one in a long, long time, I think. Well, yeah, so e- Egypt, after having not qualified for a World Cup in a long time, of um, going home pointless. Um, yeah, it didn't really it didn't really work out for them. Starting with the the you know the the sort of despair that that hovered over the 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 side with Mo Salah's injury in the Champions League final, then the controversy with him being photographed, etc. Um, a lot of talk for a little while about him not playing for the national side again. There was even some uncertainty whether he'd play today or not. So it's a shame that uh, many things seem to conspire against them. Yeah, there was a story in the in the UK. Um, I think, I believe it was in the Daily Mirror today about um, Mo, Mo Salah contemplating international retirement after feeling he was being used as a political pawn. Yeah, I think a very interesting point about Egypt, which an awful lot of people have forgot, this is only Egypt's third ever World Cup, and I think a lot of people have forgotten that, and that this is the first World Cup for them in twenty eight years. And I did find it somewhat disrespectful the way that you had the BBC and also the Dutch media here just basically saying it's Salah plus 10 others. When I rate particularly uh, Hegazi, although he hasn't had the best season at West Brom, put him in a better team and you'll see a better side of him. 
I think the inexperience of, of Egypt and to be on the world stage again for the first time in such a long time obviously plays a part. And I, I'm not surprised they didn't win today. I thought it, I personally thought it was going to be a draw. But um, I think there was somewhat a lot of hype surrounding uh, Egypt. And I'm, I'm not surprised that uh, Uruguay and Russia went through the group in places one and two. Well, it does seem very, very convenient for Russia the way these fixtures were scheduled anyway. And when you hear the sort of talk that, that we got from from Platini about how the um, how the the France World Cup was arranged for Brazil and France, it, it does make you slightly suspicious. But you, at some point, you've got to feel a little bit sorry for Russia because suspicion seems to follow them everywhere. Um, but they haven't had their best day today, have they? Um, a little I'm, bit of a reality check today, wasn't it? Yeah, do we think this is uh, uh, obviously um, playing Uruguay that Suarez put them ahead early on uh, after 10 minutes? There was then a, a, um, a Kurashev own goal and Cavani scored right at the end. There also um, a red card picked up for for Russia. Um, is this what we can expect from Russia as soon as they play against a good team? Or is this just an off day? Uh, perhaps a little bit of lost focus when you're already already made it through the group I think a mixture of both to be honest I think they'll give Spain I think they'll give Spain a, a good game in the last 16 but I think Spain will ultimately have too much quality for them but I think the job for them was done getting through to the last 16 when you think how many people wrote them off before the tournament began you know I heard uh, people in some quarters predicting it's going to be the worst ever performance by any host nation which I thought was a bit far-fetched but um, I think they'll be pleased to have got through um, as they wanted to. And I think um, I think they'll give a good account of themselves in the last 16, but I can't see them going any further. Um, well, it'd be a miss of me not to pick pick the, the brains of uh, our professional goalkeeper just to hear. Well, how annoyed would you be at your defender after the um, clearing out part of that wall for um, for Suarez's free kick? Yeah, that, that, was, that was strange on a couple of different levels. I mean... If you're going to clear out players on the end of the wall, attacking players that have attached themselves to the wall like that, you would you would push them to the outside. So the 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 first thing that was odd to me is that not only did he open up a channel for Suarez, but he he's pushed them back centrally in front of goal. So there's it's very possible that he would have obscured Akinfeo's vision a little bit. Having said that, it's still Akinfeo's side to deal with. Um, and David Priest posted a good picture on Twitter. You can see that Akinfeo has taken a very big jump. Um, as the ball is being struck. So he's hovering in the air and the ball's already halfway to his goal and never actually does, in fact, get his left foot back down onto the ground again before he can push off and dive. So there's a lot of blame to go around with that, but could have very easily been a penalty had yeah, the shot not gone in. And that, got, that had gone to VAR. From what we've seen, you know, some of the penalties we've seen given today, it, it, it's an absolute blatant, outrageous foul of two players off the ball to just sort of bull rush them out of the way. It's it didn't serve any good purpose for Russia, but um, had the shot not gone out, I've been interested to see if that had been a penalty. And I think what's particularly curious about it for me is the fact that Suarez is the free kicks nineteen yards out. There, you you don't see players very often get the ball up and down over a wall like that. From, from it's very hard to do. Yeah, it, it's very hard to do. And so you've allowed him to take the easiest possible route to goal um, by just going to, to the open side and, and not having to deal with the wall at all. And the wall is a, is a double-edged sword for a goalkeeper in that 
from that 23 to 30 yard range, it, it can, if a, if a player does get it up and over the wall, then you're going to see it very late. Um, and, and it's almost a hindrance, but that close to goal, as you rightly say, Adam, he, he's even a player of his quality is going to struggle to get it over the wall and then down again under the bar, make him do that rather than essentially just a little side foot pass is a, a nice one, but, but he's just passed it into the net. Um, Russia will be pleased it happened today, um, and, and maybe they'll deal with the same situation a little better against Spain if it comes. Uh, and as as Gary Lineker pointed out on, on um, UK TV, um, finishing second in the group does mean that uh, Russia are able to stay in Moscow, whether that, that's got to be some sort of benefit for them as well. Um, should have just fixed it like England did and play all your games at Wembley. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do we think about about Uruguay? They've obviously been um, very dogged and, and um, determined in their their first two games. They've got through this game again without conceding a goal, um, but they have finally maybe looked a little bit more more potent up front with um, Suarez and Cavani both both scoring for them now. Um, are, are they growing into this tournament? I think they are. I think um, I think they're slowly finding their feet. That you know, to not concede a goal and to have uh, to have your strikers scoring and a, a good team ethic and an experienced national team manager as well. I think they'll give. Uh, I think they'll give Portugal a hell of a game, and I think they'll beat Portugal on uh, on Saturday. I think no. I think Suarez and Cavani and Chodin once again with his header, which led to the third, which led to the third goal, was so was so powerful. And they've all got experience in that side. They all know they're all winners in terms of, of winning at club level as well. So um, I'd be surprised if Portugal was to get through at Uruguay's expense in the last 16. Personally, yeah, I, I agree with James. I would make I would make Uruguay slight favourites in that one. Yeah, what I really liked about um, about about the end of that is um, Cavani was clearly so desperate to score that even in the 90th minute with players around him. He launched himself at that ball like a missile. Just you see the the apps, he the the acceleration from from his position to make sure he gets that goal is a that's a real striker's goal and someone who was desperate to to finally get off the mark. Um, so that's it. That's Group A done with Uruguay topping it. I've, I don't think that's really given us any shocks today. Um, probably very much as everyone expected going in, but as um. Justin alluded to earlier, the the real drama has been in Group B today, where um, we had Iran playing Portugal and and Spain Morocco. Um, Spain really had um, really had it all to do to not qualify, but they they did their best um, with uh, Morocco going uh, Morocco going both one nil and two one up, um, uh, along with some app some absolute carnage laying down on their goal and some de- real defensive frailty shown by them. Um, meanwhile, Portugal seemed to be in control in a goal that um, Ricardo Quaresma put them put them 1-0 up just just after half-time with a... Uh, oh, just before half-time, sorry, with a, a lovely outside, outside of the right foot striker. Chris is probably still enjoying right now, probably just got on some sort of loop, I imagine. Um, but... Put his t on. <laughs> But a controversial, a very controversial um, VAR-assisted penalty um, gave Iran an opportunity right at the end. And 
possibly a chance to win it. I don't know about you. I thought, I thought it was he really. I thought it was a great penalty. I thought he took it really, really well. But I, I mentioned in a previous pod, guys, as well that with VAR, I think it comes down to interpretation. And if you look at uh, referees on different continents having a different interpretation about um, about um, it's relative to handball and, and different kind of things, I think it, interpretation play, plays such a massive part. And in the case of the Paraguayan referee tonight, he was extremely busy. He was busy reviewing uh, his, uh, his screen quite often as regards to the uh, potential sending off for Ronaldo and the penalty which led to the missed penalty from Ronaldo. But I think uh, interpretation from the referee in terms of what he deems to be following a letter of the law plays such a massive part in these VAR decisions and proves to be decisive. Yeah, but, I think I think you know that the people talk about technology solving this problem and eliminating con- controversy, but there's interpretation. There's a degree of um, interpretation in in. The, the two laws that, that we saw penalties given for today, offside and handball, um, you know, obviously the way the handball law is written, um, the, the, it, it has to be to some degree um, the player intentionally playing the ball with his hand. Of course, nobody actually does that. Nobody reaches out and swats the ball. But what they do do is put their arms in an unnatural position sometimes to try to make themselves bigger and, and obscure block a shot on target or across without it looking as if that's what they've done. Um, and then there's an element of offside where a player may or may not be involved or obstructing the goalkeeper. And, and again, as you say, video can give the referee a tool, but still has to make a decision that some referees will see differently than others. Um, so I, um, I still don't know how I feel about it myself. I mean, I, I think it correctly gave Spain that equalizing goal. Um, which was originally flagged for offsides, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there was so yeah, much going on. It's not yeah, hard, the, hard to keep track of. The, um, but, the second goal, the, uh, um, was it Aspas's goal? Yeah. Yeah, that yes. one That one was um, overturned after originally being flagged for offside. Right, right, right. Uh, but then other decisions, as you know, there, there were a lot of people on my Twitter timeline that felt Ronaldo maybe should have gone for the VAR that went to see if he had struck a player in the face and he got booked for it only, and then the penalty given to Portugal, which he missed. So if the goal was to eliminate controversy, then it it hasn't done that. It it can't possibly do that. If it's to get more things right, even if only marginally more, then that still has a chance to do that. But you'd have to ask at what cost, you know, is it worth slowing the game down, et cetera. James, what do you and think? I don't about, know. <laughs> what do you think about the deci- the decisions today? Do you, if you look at, if we look first at the Portugal game, did, did, what did you think about Ronaldo's sending off, not sending off? There was one particular angle they showed where I thought he was going to give a red, but obviously they have the advantage of all different angles, and I think he's used common sense to eventually book him, and uh, I think he made the right decision in that respect. And um, as regards to the, to the penalty as well, which led which Ronaldo missed, in the first instance, it didn't appear that he, he was going to give it. And then time went on for a little bit and then it was reviewed and he decided again with a, a, a different angle coming in because we have the benefit of lots of different angles um, in, the, in the first instance to get shown one after the other. But um, I think, again, it comes down to interpretation and I, I'm not entirely sure as to... Um, 
as to the uh, handball which led to the penalty for Iran. But that once once again, it's interpretation. People say, you know, can can a player get his his hand out of the way so quickly in unnatural positions and things like that? But um, I think uh, I think common sense prevailed with the Ronaldo booking. If I'm honest. Yeah. Wow. Well. I have to take your word for it. I was I was very much focused on the Spain game myself, where um, there was as much uh, controversy over the lack of VAR as there was over the uh, the VAR that actually did occur. Where um, instances with um, Gerard Piquet going in two footed challenges, um, potent, potential handballs where VAR wasn't even used, um, and especially with that Piquet challenge, you've got to wonder what they were what they were looking at. Yeah, it was it was definitely clear two footed. I mean, I think two footed has kind of entered the lexicon as the same as last man, which is the people tend to use it as if it's a, a phrase that actually is in the laws of the game when it's not. So a two footed challenge in and of itself isn't necessarily ascending off every time, but it does indicate that you've leapt in and there's a loss of body control and a certainly a degree of recklessness. And I was a little surprised. Adam, uh, that it didn't go to VAR. Um, uh, if it's not going to be used for that, then uh, you know you, you would think that's what it's for. But I did think PK was a bit lucky there. I think anyone, I think I certainly think if we all agree that it, there is interpretation by referees, some referees would look at that and say he's off. Not all, but definitely some. Um, even not taking into account um, that he may have done it in the past, a time or two. <laughs> And uh, this guy, this game was as impressive for the goals that were scored as for the ones that weren't. There was um, an uh, absolutely fantastic effort from Amrabat from Morocco, where he oh yeah hit the hit the join of the he hit the join yeah. of the goal. It couldn't have been any uh, any harder for uh, for him to miss that, but just absolutely sweetly struck. And, and also a great header from Isco in the in uh, in the same second half, where which was cleared right off the line. Um, you know, the, the sense I got from both of these games was that neither Spain nor Portugal realized how close they were to going out. Uh, but there were just any number of things gone slightly differently in just the last five or eight minutes of those matches. And we could have seen them both not going through. And Portugal, of course, threw away, threw away the group in the end. But, but um, if Iran, Iran got a great chance in, in stoppage time with almost the last kick of the game and... and the fellow put it into the side netting, outside netting, and had he had he finished there, they're out, they're gone. Yeah. Um, it, it it was a relatively cavalier performances by both of them, which I don't think bodes terribly well for later rounds. I agree with James that I think Spain will have enough to get past Russia, but beyond that, playing like that, um, conceding more goals than than you would expect them to. Um, I don't know that that um, that. I mean, who would have figured that that firing your manager three days before the start of a major tournament might have some repercussions? But it appears it has. I, I think what was so troubling for the the Spain performance is the fact that, as much as the goals, it's the the trademark of any sort of good Spanish performance is the control they have, and they just didn't have that. So the opportunity it's as much the opportunities that Morocco had and didn't score as it was the ones that they did and put them under pressure. And I, I think that some of that was maybe a little bit of rustiness. How, how often are you going to see uh, Ramos and 
Iniesta decide to neither of them to go for a ball and allow a allow a striker to go one on one. But yeah, but then and then just moments after that, they got beat by a long throw in. Yeah, um, and let someone in on goal. Um, yeah, it was very some uncharacteristic errors for sure. Um, what do we think for the for the, the these two teams' future and the rest of the competition? Obviously, playing against teams we saw earlier in the day. Um, James, what how, what do you think Portugal's limitations are? Um, I think they'll come unstuck against Uruguay. If they if they would have uh, topped the group and ended up playing Russia, I, I would have given them enough to get through to the quarterfinals. But I think uh, I think Uruguay will have too much quality, and I think Spain. I think um, I think Russia will just be pleased to have got through. I think they'll give Spain a game, but I, I don't think they'll take them to the limits of, of a potential extra time or or penalty shootout in that respect. I think it's um, it's probably diff not difficult, but I don't. I think you're not you're in a, a no win situation there because you either play Uruguay, who for me are a, a very good team, a team capable of at least getting to the the semi finals of this competition, or you're playing against a host nation who, until today, had a huge amount of momentum behind them. I'm always interested because I'm very old and been through a lot of World Cups. It's always interesting to watch each World Cup, how the host nation uh, responds to to their their home support, whether they see it as riding the crest of a wave or being burdened by expectation. I think we saw that with Brazil last, last time around, um, and the players very visibly panicking in a, in a situation against Germany. And we've seen hosts... Um, greatly outperform their overall standing in world football, thinking back to, say, South Korea in 2002. Um, and I just wonder, it really looked like Russia were embracing it and riding the wave. And today you wouldn't think, you wouldn't hope for their sake would be too damaging um, as long as there's not a great overreaction. They didn't have a great performance, but it doesn't cost them too terribly. Um and it'll be interesting to see now how they respond. The knockout round is a different beast. The knockout round is one missed time challenge, and you've lost. You know, you've, you've sent your, your your nation packing in the World Cup, and that's a, a certainly that must be a much more keen realization for anyone playing for the host nation. So I'll be interested to see how they handle that. James, what are your thoughts on Spain going into the into the next uh, round of games? <laughs> Um, I think I think they'll have enough for Russia. I think, um, but anything beyond that, they're going to have to try to get their sharpness back. Because as, as you mentioned today uh, we, against Morocco, I only saw a few highlights at half time with the PK challenge and the uh, miscommunication with Iniesta and Ramos. Age might be catching up, and um, you'd think going forward, uh, maybe a, a, an opponent would latch on to those mistakes. But um, I think they've done well to recover from losing their manager three days before the start of the tournament. I mean, that would put most uh, countries in complete disarray, but they've got so much quality that they'll, they're mature enough to handle it. But I still think they've done ever so well to go for, to experience that and to go on to top their World Cup, uh, their World Cup group. OK, um, so just uh, leading us into the games tomorrow. So we have got um starting off in the in uh, at three o'clock uk time with australia versus peru and denmark france um i believe france are already qualified denmark have 
Denmark have got it all to do to not to qualify, haven't they, James? Yeah, but I think they'll do it. I um, I think they'll get possibly a draw tomorrow against uh, France. It was interesting uh, to hear Christian Eriksen when he spoke to um, to Dutch media after the game against Australia, where he said that he believes they still need at least one point to go through and that the Australia game was very difficult. But my personal opinion is, fellas, that I think Peru will beat Australia tomorrow. And I think Denmark will get a, pick up a point, and I think it will be Denmark that go through behind France. Okay, Justin, I agree with that. And I, it, uh, it's been a little bit sad for me to watch Peru in their in their return to World Cup action, not re, not not really get the reward for a couple of really entertaining performances. And so I'd like to see nothing against Australia, but I'd, I'd like to see them put together another good performance tomorrow, and and at least give their support who've travelled a very very long and expensive way. Uh, one good day. Well, yeah, it's, it's, you, don't, I, you don't want to sound patronising as a an England fan because we come to World Cups and stink it up all the time. But in terms of when you you hear all the stories in the media about sort of the lengths that Peru fans have gone to, how much it's meant to them to see uh, their first World Cup in however many thirty odd years to end in it's- eight days is realistically is is just a bit sad for them so you really want them to to have a moment to take away from this world cup against australia and australia team that i don't think are all that i think we're lucky to get a result against denmark and shouldn't really be in contention for this at all i fully agree adam um except except that they do have a player who seems to have a a a skill that has suddenly deserted most of the rest of the world and that's millie judd and that can take a penalty well yeah, it's not, it's not been a... Um, well, Harry Kane. Yeah, actually, I, I want to say something about that. Can I? Can I that's, you've led me into it, Adam. <laughs> if everybody took their penalties like Harry Kane, and if Harry Kane continues to take his penalties like that, in other words, to shoot high and for the corners, there would never be another penalty saved, ever. They would miss every now and then. Players would miss the target from time to time. But... But goalkeepers saving penalties would be a, a, a bygone thing. But you don't save those. You don't have time to get up high above the shoulder. And the goalkeeper, the, the save that the Egypt keeper made today was fantastic. Even that, if you watch the replay, was only about chest high. If you get it much higher than that, it's, it's not being stopped. It's not being saved. And everyone may know that Harry Kane, he should keep doing it. Uh, don't change, Harry. Yeah, it's not like you need to worry about the keeper reading you if you can put it somewhere they can't get to. And with that pace, it's not being saved. It isn't going to be saved. What was your your view on um, on penalties when you were, were playing? Did you see them as a a no a lose situation where you had an opportunity to shine? Or it, it, it uh, penalties in the run of play are very different than penalty shootouts. So penalty penalties in the run of play, then it's sort of dependent on the game situation. If you're up three nil or down three nil or whatever, then it's not uh, the most critical thing. But normally, a penalty in the run of play is um, a critical game-defining moment, and the penalty is being taken by someone who you would—you sort of have to assume, by virtue of them being given the responsibility—is is confident and has a plan and has a routine and has a couple of options. Um, so you are forced into, um, uh, you know, taking a risk and trying to trying to get a, a read and anticipating, guessing, as it were. Penalty shootouts are different. Um, five players, there's a good chance that you're going to see a couple poor penalties in, in, a, in a shootout. Um, 
So I was more likely in those situations to stand up and wait just that little bit longer and see if each individual player had the the the, the nerve to pick a corner and hit it with some pace in that corner. Because a lot of times, again, you'll get a bad one or two in a shoot up. Okay. Well, talking about people who can't take penalties, we've later on that day we've got Argentina versus Nigeria where um, hopefully Leo Messi won't have another penalty to take and, and Iceland Croatia um, Croatia are already Croatia already qualified they must six yes. points yeah for say Croatia already qualified um, and then any any sort of anything could happen with the others I suppose all, all four teams can still go through Um are Argentina going to be able to pull a result out against against Nigeria, James? I think so. Yes. Even after the mutiny. Yeah, I think so. I think that I think even it might just be this one occasion, but I think they're all professionals, and with players like Aguero and with um, Messi, of course, and with experience as well. You know, you got to remember this is an Argentina. The personnel is not that much different from the Argentina side that reached the final four years ago, but the man management of that squad is completely different. I mean, I, I, I've stated on previous pods that I still don't think Alejandro Sabella gets the credit he deserves for leading Argentina to a final four, four years ago. But I, I just think they'll come together and I think they'll win, they'll win through but then a potential last 16 clash against France will throw up a completely different kettle of fish. And, but I suppose regardless of that, Justin, are Iceland good enough to get a result against Croatia? No. No. Um, well, it depends what you mean by result. They're not good enough to beat them. Um, they, they, could, they could defend and, and uh, hold, hold their lines and stay together and all that, and then maybe nick a set-piece goal or a goal of some sort at the other end and, and get a 1-1 out of it. But uh, partly I think that might be determined by how hard Croatia chased that game. I mean, there's already the manager's already said he's going to rest some key players. I would expect Modric to be rested. Um, so that would obviously do, do Iceland some favors. And I'm I'm on board with the romance of Iceland and all that as well. But they they don't play a ton of football. They they're, they're not in, in terribly likely to break down a really technically gifted and organized side. They've sort of they've done a great job of preying on the vulnerabilities of and the fragilities of a couple of opponents over the last two major tournaments as we've come to know them. Um, but this is the sort of side that I don't see them having much effect on unless Croatia just aren't that interested in the result. And even then, there's going to be players on the pitch being given an opportunity um, and are going to want to make the most of it. So I, I think I think the romance comes to an end tomorrow. Yeah, I'm very much inclined to agree with you. Obviously, Iceland need, need a victory to, to qualify and need Argentina to to um, well, Nigeria not to beat Argentina basically. Um, are Croatia gonna maybe try a little bit, uh, at least still try? Because I think that is topping this group very important because you don't want to play France, but maybe you don't mind whoever else you play coming out of Group C. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think certainly they they want they want to win. Um... But the the selection of the first eleven will will tell you to what degree they're they're prioritizing it in the short term. So whoever they pick and put out those those eleven will 
will absolutely bust a gut and try to win the match, and I think they will. But they will have the bigger picture in mind. And and again, this this is the first World Cup I can remember in recent years where are you really that afraid of Germany? Are you really af- that afraid of 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 Spain? Um, it, it's, you you know that's always sort of been um, the the motivating factor for these sides that are chasing qualification in the knockout rounds is is look if you can win the group if you can avoid those sides then you obviously want to do that um i think mexico are in you know a dangerous team in better form than some of those some of the bigger name teams now maybe the knockout rounds bring us a little bit of a reality check for 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 those sides and it does go back to spain and germany progressing through rounds of the world cup as they as they have done in past years i don't know but um i certainly like what i've seen of croatia thus far a lot yeah well difficult to agree with that um i they could put out a team of 11 absolute scrubs couldn't they because i'm surely i don't think anyone's going to be watching that game people the eyes of the world are going to be on argentina because they're going to want to see messi fail or messi triumph because it's good the media will boil it down to those two things surely I, I can't. Can you imagine an in-between situation there, James? Where mess? Where, where they're they're writing the the headlines. Messi does all right. Um, I don't know. I can't see that. I don't think it'll be in, in between. I think it'll be one or the other. But it just goes to show how what a tremendous chance they had to win the World Cup for a third time four years ago, and they blew it. And fast forward four years, and, and they're struggling to get out of their group. But it just goes to show how quickly things can change in football. All right then, guys. Well, thank you very much. Um, I suppose we can all look forward to a, a fascinating day of football again tomorrow. Um, Justin, if people want to um, contact you on social media or anything to, to carry on the debate, where can they get you? I'm at uh, at Keepers Union um, with an underscore unwisely chosen by me between Keepers and, uni- and Union. <laughs> it's all about branding. Yeah. And James? Uh, they can reach me on at James Rowe NL. Okay, excellent. Um, if you want to contact us, you can get us um, on Twitter at Man on the Post. Um, I believe that's the same handle for our Instagram account where Chris is tweeting out all sorts of lovely creative things um, as well as links to the podcast. And you're obviously already subscribed, but if you're not subscribed, rate and review. Ross loves a positive review. It makes his day. Um, apart from that, guys, thank you very much. And how can people get in touch with you, Adam? Oh, yeah. Um, Adam SA 101. Thank you, James. People people are missing out on some quality content then, otherwise. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. Thank you very much, guys. You're more than welcome. Thank you. No worries. Have a good evening. And um, always remember to have your man on the post.